More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Wednesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. We're going to have more fun with you and hope make Hope to make America a little bit better place than it was before we started. Uh, I appreciate all of you hanging out with us. As always, encourage you to go subscribe to the podcast. You can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton. We've got a lot to run through. Merrick Garland testifying and lying, I believe, in front of Congress today. We've got a couple of clips for, from that. Congratulations and thanks uh, to our buddy Jim Jordan for actually being willing to hold Merrick Garland's feet to the fire on some of these incidents. Uh, we also got a couple of interesting stories that, uh, that are maybe somewhat in your purview, but you might not have paid a lot of attention to. Um, in New York City, they're trying to take down George Washington statues. This is something that Trump was 100% right about. All of the issues that New York City has right now, and that is a focus. We'll talk about that. Um, we've also got, it's an awful story about some of you may have seen the video of the biker who was uh, ridden over by young kids uh, in sort of a joyride. Uh, they seemed gleeful in their desire to kill this, uh, this biker. It's on video. It's tough to watch. Most people in the media aren't really talking about it. He's a, cy- um, a cyclist. He's on a bicycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think... The conversation needs to be had about why the media is basically pretending this didn't happen at all. Uh, there's also craziness coming out of Chicago uh, in many facets, but of late that the mayor of Chicago thinks the city of Chicago should be involved in grocery stores, which is a crazy idea. But we'll break all that down for you. And uh, Julie Kelly is scheduled to join us in the second hour. All of that coming your way. But I want to start. Uh, with Merrick Garland testifying in front of Congress. And, Buck, y- you asked a good question, because we, we started off the week on Monday, I think, talking about a Wall Street Journal article that claims that I still have in front of me here, uh, uh, and I want to read that opening paragraph. Um, 
the already frosty relationship between President Biden and his Attorney General Merrick Garland is now in a deep freeze. That's the Monday edition of the Wall Street Journal. And Buck, Buck, your theory, which I think is an interesting one, is that the Wall Street Journal reporters are getting played and that this is not true. And I'm not sure they're getting, can I just, I'm not sure they're getting played. I think this is the White House doing information operations, right? I mean, they're, they have White House aides. That's what was reported in the story who are telling them, Oh, Biden's so upset at Merrick Garland. That's a story irrespective, but it can be to influence the reader or the listener as well as to inform them of the facts, right? Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. My, my, when I say played, I mean that they want that story out there because they actually see it as being beneficial as opposed to, Oh, we've got a scoop. There's tension in between Biden and, uh, and uh, Merrick Garland. To me, there's a difference between something that you want to be in public, in which case, like, you're trying to maneuver and manipulate the media coverage and you're trying to put it out there, and something that's reported that may be true that you would prefer not to be out there. But if this were the latter, so let, let's presume that just for a second, maybe that wouldn't be the case. I was thinking about it because you asked a good question, like, why would this be out there? And one of our VIP emailers emailed in, and I do think there's an argument to be made on this, that Merrick Garland is now concerned that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden have put him in the firing line in a way that the attorney general did not want to be. In other words, there are some attorney generals, and I think Trump won and won, who will jump, basically act as the shield for the president. And they will jump in front of the president and they will defend the president and they will basically act in many ways as the personal attache of uh, the president of the United States. I don't know that Merrick Garland ever wanted that role. And I bring it up because his testimony, I think if you actually dive into a lot of what Merrick Garland has said surrounding the Hunter Biden uh, investigation, I think he's lied in front of Congress. And Jim Jordan went after him. Uh, this is what just happened on Capitol Hill. Let's play cut six. Even with the face-saving indictment last week of Hunter Biden, everyone knows the fix is in. Four and a half years. Four and a half years the Department of Justice has been investigating Mr. Biden, an investigation run by David Weiss, an investigation that limited the number of witnesses agents could interview, an investigation that prohibited agents from referring to the president as the, quote, big guy in any of the interviews they did get to do, an investigation that curtailed attempts to interview Mr. Biden by giving the transit team a secret a heads up, an investigation that notified Mr. Biden's defense counsel about a pending search warrant, an investigation run by Mr. Weiss, run by Mr. Weiss, where they told the Congress three different stories in 33 days. Okay, that's all I think accurate based on what people have testified under oath. That's not really a question, but that is, I think, a pretty evocative uh, indictment of Merrick Garland from Jim Jordan. When when you see what they're focusing on right away, uh I'm watching the questioning right now uh, as they as they're streaming it on on TVs across the country uh, that Weiss asked, who's the special prosecutor? He asked to be the special prosecutor, which is interesting. He had been the federal prosecutor on this. And I think you have to ask yourself, what exactly could Merrick Garland have done here other than what he did in order to benefit Hunter and Joe Biden and, and this presidency short of just. You know, at some level, there could be a degree of interference that would become a political liability, a true political liability, right? 
Yeah. At some point, the cover-up becomes so obvious that not even CNN or the New York Times can carry water for it. And and I think that when you look at what Merrick Garland has done at, at various points here, he's really bent over backwards, I think, to uh, to help the Bidens. Um, Republicans criticize him for this, right? So let's not forget this. So the notion that Biden is so mad at Merrick Garland, I kind of sit here and say, what was Merrick Garland supposed to do differently in Joe Biden's eyes? You're like, maybe Biden's just raging and angry about the whole situation. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there was the report yesterday that Hunter is going to plead not guilty, which doesn't really mean anything. He's not going to plead guilty if he's, I think he's going to be arraigned. They're figuring out arraigned in person is possible. Um, but he'll plead not guilty and then there'll be negotiations and there'll be a set of the trial and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, on the one hand, Clay, you have the possibility that Trump is running, uh, to do many things, but among them to pardon himself from various federal criminal charges like that is or have his attorney general drop them. But I don't think dropping them is enough. I think if you're Trump, you'd want to clear the slate once and for all. Yeah. Make it make it undo make it so you can't undo that. On the other hand, Joe Biden, it seems right now, is running to be in the most advantageous position possible to pardon his own son, uh, which is definitely going. I mean, you could take this to the bank if Hunter ends up going to trial. Hunter is getting pardoned. I mean, if this actually turns into he could go to prison, Joe Biden's going to pardon his son. There's no question about that. The only question then becomes, you know, when? And I think it's clearly the end of 2024, right? So this is what we are facing right now. I mean, whether or not Merrick Garland, um, I I don't think they're going to replace Merrick Garland. That would be a, a, a foolish move for them. He's not going to fire Merrick Garland right now. That would look like interference because oh, yeah, of the important other special counsel. Yeah. So you're stuck with Garland. So Clay, like what, assume that those White House aides are, are just, you know, oh man, I just want to go to the Wall Street Journal and tell them how mad Uncle Joe is about all this stuff. They're going to pressure Merrick to do what? You know what I'm saying? Like what, what yeah. do they want? What does Joe Biden want from Merrick Garland that he hasn't already given them? That's, there may be answers to this, but I just haven't seen it yet. I always, whether you respect Merrick Garland in any way, he's very intelligent. Um, and whenever somebody says they don't recall, your antenna should automatically go up. Because when you're asked a yes or no question, and it is a very integral, essential part of your job, and we're going to play this audio for you in a sec, Buck, because it, it stood out to me. Merrick Garland says that he doesn't remember if he's ever talked to anybody in the FBI about Hunter Biden. This is a lie. I would bet every spare dollar I have, Buck, that Merrick Garland at some point in time has had multiple conversations with people inside of the FBI. And if it's not somebody in the FBI, let me clarify, it's somebody who is speaking on behalf of the FBI, right? It's like... Uh, you know, whoever the, the top aide of, uh, outside counsel is of, of, of FBI leadership, right? So that he could technically say, well, I've never spoken to anybody at the FBI, but it's kind of a default. But listen to this answer. He didn't say yes or no. He said, I don't recall. Listen. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Don't re- I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't recollect 
You don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I don't believe that I did. Clay, this is, remember, I don't know. recollect, I, love, I don't believe that I, I did, like, so he, I, that's what he's yeah. trying to dodge impeachment, right? Okay, for sure. And, and if you remember 90s movies, um, remember Clear and Present Danger, when Jack Ryan, played by Harrison Ford, grabs the guy who, you know, is like the classic CIA bureaucrat, he's wearing his suit and his little glasses and everything, and he's like, I got an autograph, get out of jail free card, Jack. Do you have one? And then he's like, you might want to learn this phrase. I have no recollection of that, Senator. I have no recollection. I do not recall trying to, you know, goad him while coaching him about what he's going to have to say in front of Congress. When you, when you're in this role, it's a great movie. When you're in this role and you're going, I don't remember. I mean, it's not like someone's asking you what you had for breakfast 15 years ago. Yeah. You probably remember. And I think when you're having a conversation about the president's son and a federal investigation, you definitely remember. And that also ties in here. I was talking about whether Merrick Garland feels like he's been led over the middle to such an extent that he has to worry about his own potential criminal prosecution if Trump were to win the election. Uh, because I do think Merrick Garland has lied under oath to Congress based on what several of these whistleblowers have testified to. Merrick Garland's still trying to say, I'm not the president's lawyer. Here's cut eight. I think all these are important because Merrick Garland, I think, Buck, is starting to feel heat that he might not have felt at any other point as attorney general so far. Listen to cut eight. Our job is to pursue justice without fear or favor. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. Our job is to follow the facts and the law. All right, Merrick, we we get it. Yeah. Um, Here's my theory, Buck. I think Merrick Garland felt embarrassed and humiliated when he went to the state dinner for, I believe it was India, and Joe Biden was so brazen that he had invited Hunter Biden just a day or two after they had got the full fix in on the sweetheart deal. And I think that Merrick Garland at that point in time thought to himself, he's making me look like a pawn. It's, I, I really do. Cause remember, so there was you this think coverage. Merrick is going, he's going rogue and no, actually is a real I, AG I, now? What do you? No, I don't think he's going rogue, but I think he, uh, they, Joe Biden asked him to do so much that it became impossible for him to do it and still have uh, any kind of cover to argue that he was, what he just said, an independent arbiter of justice. Well, that that I would agree with insofar as I think Merrick Garland has done everything. We've said it on this show. There should have been a special counsel to look into Hunter Biden right away mm-hmm. because this is what a special counsel is even theoretically or you know uh, philosophically in existence for. You're the son of the president. Possibly involved in not just criminal activity, but criminal activity that, Im- that might implicate the sitting president of the United States. Yep. That's what you actually need a special counsel for, right? I mean, you know, when you look at this, that's something that is, you know, bright, bright red letter. This is what you need to do. 
And they decided that uh, they were going to slow roll the whole thing. So Here, I'll give you one more analogy I think people understand on this, Buck. I feel like Merrick Garland is like the spouse whose husband or wife has been cheating on him forever. And they've known it, but then they do something that's so brazenly public that they say, I can't stay with you anymore. It's like, as long as you kept the dirty laundry out of the public... You've seen this with politics all the time, right? For a while, they'd have the wife show up at the press conference where the man would apologize for cheating or whatever. And then finally, a few women were like, screw this. Like, I'm not going to show up and stand behind you when you're the one who screwed up. I feel like Merrick Garland is the spouse who was fine when things stayed quiet, but suddenly it's blown up and it's just gone too far. If that analogy makes some sense, I think Biden has asked him to do more than he feels comfortable doing publicly and having everybody know exactly how much the fix is in. And I wonder if the same thing is true of David Weiss, uh, the prosecutor here, because they were so thoroughly embar- embarrassed by that Noriega event. Uh, team at my pillow, by the way, 800-282-2882 if you want to weigh in. Team at my pillow having another closeout sell with great values on their popular percal sheets. If you're wondering what percal sheets are, specific type of weave using 100% cotton, soft and very high quality. And it breathes, meaning you don't get nearly as hot at night under these sheets as you would another set. These MyPillow percal sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, all included in the closeout sale, all more than 60% off right now. Queen size sheets, 35 bucks. Twin size sheets, just $25 per set when you use our names, Clay and Buck, as your promo code. They have deep pockets to fit over any mattress and are extremely durable, and that's helpful if you have a deep, comfortable mattress and a mattress topper. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square to get the MyPillow Percal Sheets. Enter promo code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269 for this special and many more. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Chalk up a win for Team Reality. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... 
Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. John Fetterman. I just we were talking about this off the air. I I don't know if you gave me a wet magic wand, Buck. This is this is a good kind of uh idea. You gave me a magic wand, and I could say this person can no longer be in office. There are several people that I would consider Gretchen Whitmer in the state of Michigan because I think she failed so much on COVID. Gavin Newsom because I think he was wrong with everything in COVID. But if you said you can wave a magic wand and the person in Congress who you could replace, I think I would go with John Fetterman because... There are people I disagree with on all sorts of issues in Congress, and certainly AOC would be tempting as well. Fetterman legitimately can't speak. He's degrading the United States Senate by his mere presence because he is wearing hoodies and shorts on the Senate floor, and they have changed the rules of the Senate to comport with his man-child-like behavior, and even for blue-collar people, it's weird to wear shorts, athletic shorts, all the time. He's from Pennsylvania. You, You live in Miami. At least if you were in Miami and you wore shorts all the time, like, it tends to be pretty warm. Like, guys who wear shorts all year round are weird. There's I've been going to football games for a long time, Buck. There's always dudes... It'll be like 20 degrees. There'll be some guy in shorts. You'll be like, why are you wearing shorts? He's like, it's not that cold out. It's, it's minus 10, all right? You're in shorts. like you're, You look like an imbecile. And he can't do the job. This was Fetterman. This is the audio. I believe Fetterman is right now presiding over the Senate. I always have to say I believe because it's a photo in this day and age. Every photo, it feels like, can be can be faked, but it appears Fetterman is presiding over the Senate. This is 100% real. Fetterman analyzing the auto worker strike. Here it is. My message to the the CEOs, the CEOs is, you know, at 74 million dollars, you know, collectively earning that, you know, how many yachts can they need, you know, to to yacht to water 
ski behind it. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. He was okay. trying to quote uh, Bud Fox and Wall Street there, if anyone's a, another um, an 80s and 90s movie aficionado, when he says to Gordon Gecko, how many how many yachts can you water ski behind? And I'm like, first of all, I don't think you really water ski behind a yacht. It's usually it's a motorboat. But anyway, that was the line. Um, so, Clay, I mean, I have a slightly uh, amended uh, view of, of the Fetterman situation. Uh, I'm not sure that I would say he can't. You're saying he can't do the job. I think he that physically is, is not capable right. of doing the job. But that's true under the expectation that a United States senator is supposed to be a person of some knowledge, character, and cognitive ability. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I mean, I, I think the job, it's a little bit like with journalists. You can sit around and talk about, oh, man, the New York Times journalists aren't doing their jobs. Well, their job isn't to speak the truth and to just go where the facts lead them. Their job is to prop up a left-wing authoritarian narrative under the guise of, you know, or under the aegis of the Democrat Party. Like, that's the actual job. And I think the actual job uh, for Fetterman as a Democrat in Pennsylvania is to create this this brand of, you know, the everyday working man. You know, it's uh, yeah, Joe Biden, who was never an everyday working man for a day in his life. I mean, you know, Joe Biden wasn't... uh wasn't carrying around cinder blocks and wearing a hard hat, I can assure you. Like, that was not Joe Biden's existence. But he was Mr. Oh, I'm just, you know, working class Joe from Scranton and the whole thing. Fetterman is creating a political legend in Pennsylvania that will be, uh, useful to him. And, and they've played the sympathy card with him very well, too. Again, you hold them to the standard of, and you've talked about the coach thing a few times, right? Yes. You should be able to actually be good at this. The standard for Fetterman isn't being good at this. It's, He's a reliable Democrat vote, and he's created a persona that will let him win in Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like he's playing a character, and the character isn't expected to be smart, capable, or you know, I just, able to speak. It makes me so angry that this happened in Pennsylvania. Because, look, if John Fetterman Buck had come out of, I don't know, Vermont. Sorry, Vermont. I would be like, okay, you know, that's a super left-wing state. They are going to elect. I mean, they've got Bernie Sanders, who's a socialist. The fact that Fetterman is able to be elected in one of the five or six biggest and most integral states in the United States right now should terrify every single person listening to us. Because what it means, and I hate that we could ever be here, is that truly a candidate doesn't matter at all. Even scarier, Buck, he's better than a generic candidate. Yes. Well, this he, is what I mean. People beat, are voting for... He beat Biden. A, they're voting for a brand with Fetterman. They're not... They don't cast their ballot because they think that John Fetterman is with the nerds behind closed doors thinking about things like tax policy. Like, that's not it. It's that he's a Democrat Marxist who does the everyman shorts and, and sweatshirt routine all, all the time. I mean, he's clearly doing this on purpose. We're like, we'd all sort of like to walk around and dress like we just don't care about anything. Or I shouldn't say like to, but, you know, there's an impulse to do that. Like, I, I could show up to any number of jobs wearing pajamas. And I, and I know Susan Collins has come out and said, well, can I wear yeah. a bikini on the Senate floor? Maybe I'll wear a bikini. And she's backed off of that, but that would be quite a sight. Um, and by Senate rules, I do not think it would be, I don't think you could oppose it. I think there is no dress code now. 
So, uh, you know, Fetterman as, as a brand though, we can sit here and talk about how he can, and we will talk about how he can't speak and the whole thing is preposterous all day. He beat a Republican Senate candidate in a key swing state by a lot. Yeah. And they, I mean, yeah, the debate was late in the process and there was early voting going on. People knew they didn't care. They didn't care. And I just want to come back again to your point. No normal people dress like John Fetterman. I mean, I, if you live in Pennsylvania, it's friggin' cold. It's really, really cold for five months of the year, right? Early in the morning when you walk out to your car at, uh, you know, 6 a.m. to go do a blue collar job in Pennsylvania in November, December, January, February, March, it's cold. People who work construction and work uh, in, you know, get their hands dirty jobs don't actually wear oversized athletic shorts and hoodies to their jobs. Like he, it's not only Buck, I guess that I'm that that I find him so infuriating. It's not only that he's doing cosplay. It's that he's doing because he doesn't have a job like that, right? It's that he's doing cosplay and not even dressing up like somebody who was truly blue collar would dress. Does that make sense? Like you, you, if you went to a Steelers game or you went to an Eagles game and you are a blue collar guy and you sit in the upper deck of the stadium because that's the tickets you can afford. I know those guys. I talk to those guys. A lot of those guys are Penn State fans. They don't dress like John Fetterman. Like it's weird to me. I don't know. And, and, and it's, it's strange. That he has that appeal. I really would like to drill down on who his voters are because I tend to think that he probably is getting leftists who think that's what blue collar guys actually are like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it's, it's very strange to me to even think about what his appeal is because I, I don't imagine that there's lots of guys who see him and think, Oh, he reflects me. I think it's people who are on the left. And are more motivated because they think that's what blue collar guys look like. Does that make sense in some way? Like where his appeal actually is? Um, yeah, I, I think I think I'm it not does. sure that that's. Okay. Sure. I would love to look at the data and analytics of his votes because I think he's actually insulting the people who he claims that he's somehow representing in the way that he dresses. Because I think blue collar people look. If you go to a funeral, you don't show up in a hoodie. And shorts, like you dress, if you go to church, you dress with respect, even if you, does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, like, it just, people, it's actually super disrespectful what he's people doing. People making, you know, 30 grand a year show up in a suit as well when a suit is required, right? It's not, you know, that, that, that this notion that, uh, he's a senator now. He's probably making two something. I mean, whatever the yeah, right. salary is. Um, no, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. There's I mean, a my grandfathers a... worked their whole lives in factories. Uh, you know, they never showed up at church in blue jean shorts. Like they, it just, you just wouldn't have done it. You showed respect for the place that you walked into, even if you didn't necessarily have the financial resources to be able to be buying tuxedos and rolling around in four piece suits. Yeah. Look, there's, if you look at the, if you look at a, whole range of whether it's left-wing activists, community organizers, Marxist, communist dictators, there's a theatricality that can come along with it, you know? Castro 
wore that general's uh you, you know uniform it's for true. a long yes. time. <laughs> I mean, so you know, there's people. Zelensky, Zelensky, still rolling around in his t-shirts. I'm I'm upset because I actually have a That's couple of, like green t-shirts and yeah. Clay. If I wear a green t-shirt now, he's like, "Hello, Zelensky, do you want some money?" Like I can't get away with it anymore. So true. I am not seeding all green t-shirts to Zelensky. Uh, speaking of which, we've got him talking about climate change. Maybe we'll get into that in a second. Support U.S. funded resources. Phoenix Capital Group invites you to invest in the heart of America with our domestic energy corporate bonds. Phoenix Capital connects private investor principal with direct investments in domestic energy assets. Your venture in these U.S. backed equities can gain up to nine to 13 percent annual interest paid monthly. It's a vote of confidence in the American dream in the unwavering spirit that built our nation. To find out more, download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% APY. Download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. Sometimes all you can do is laugh. And they do a lot of it with the Sunday Hang. Join Clay and Buck as they laugh it up in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back, everybody. We've got Julie Kelly with us now. She is the uh, author of the Declassified Substack, which you should all go check out, and the person who has been doing the most and for the longest time work on January 6th issues, the January 6th prisoners and much more. Julie, honored to have you. We know you're super. Anytime something goes down in this world, uh, you're very busy. So thanks for making the time for us. The Ray Epps stuff. We know that he has now been charged. One charge. Tell us, uh, you know, about what's happening with this, with Ray Epps and how this fits into the broader context. Cause, you know, yesterday the headline was Ray Epps, whom Tucker Carlson accused of a conspiracy. I'm like, whoa, we're bringing Tucker into this. Um, what's going on here? Right. So if you listen to the corporate media or Adam Kinzinger or even DOJ officials, Ray Epps is nothing more than a victim of right-wing conspiracy theorists like us and Tucker, people on Fox News. Um, but look, this slap on the wrist that he got yesterday, finally one low-level misdemeanor count against Ray Epps despite his activities that we see on video January 5th and throughout January 6th. He gets away with uh, one misdemeanor count. Not only was this count just announced yesterday, he's already accepting his plea deal today. So the case is basically open and closed in 24 hours. All we have to do now is await a sentencing recommendation from DOJ, which could take a year, uh, and they're hoping that people will lose interest in this story. But the idea that this one count and the corporate media's cover-up of this, that, oh, now this exonerates Ray Epps and it, and it incriminates people like Tucker Carlson and others. It doesn't. Because, Clay and Buck, Ray Epps, if the DOJ was applying the law equally, would be facing a multi-count criminal indictment, including felonies such as obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to obstruct civil disorder, all of these felony counts that have been slapped against more than 300 January 6th defendants, including President Donald Trump, but yet he gets away with a slap on the wrist. The case is closed. His defamation lawsuit against Fox still moving forward and somehow is portrayed as the only victim on January 6th when everyone else 
is an insurrectionist or domestic terrorism still does not add up. What do you think's going on, Julie? Um, Buck and I, I don't know if you saw this Wall Street Journal article from Monday that said basically Biden and Merrick Garland are now at odds and Biden is mad at Merrick Garland because Hunter has now been charged. The plea agreement fell apart. Uh, you know, and I think we've talked about it before, there was that New York Times front page article where the president was basically quoted as saying, it wasn't him, but sources said the president was super upset with how slow Merrick Garland had been moving in prosecution Trump. And then all of a sudden Jack Smith gets appointed and everything starts to move faster. Sometimes the media is used to send messages back and forth. What do you think the relationship now is like between Biden and Garland? Do you buy into the idea that there is dismay, discord, disagreement there? I don't. And I, I tweeted that, I think, Monday, as soon as I read the Wall Street Journal piece, that that was pure spin, that it is intended to convince the American people, you know, that Merrick Garland is acting independently and upsetting the president. Uh, those two, that the White House and DOJ are not in cahoots not just to protect Hunter Biden and the Biden family, but also to round up the foes of this regime, whether it's January 6th defendants, everyone except Rayops, uh, pro-life, pro-life activists, including 70-year-old grandmothers who are now you know, rotting in a D.C. gulag, taken into custody after they were convicted by a D.C. jury. Um, you name it, Donald Trump, his associates, people like Representative Scott Perry, I mean, this is what this DOJ is spending all of its time and resources on. So I don't buy that there's this conflict between the White House and DOJ. It's pure spin to make it seem like Biden White House is hands off on DOJ. DOJ is working independently despite any pressure from the White House uh, simply is not true because we see what's coming out of this DOJ. Daily prosecutions, daily arrests still for Trump supporters related to January 6th. So it just is, is pure spin, and nothing uh, valid can back up that Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, Julie, we haven't had a chance yet on the show to talk about, you mentioned the 70-year-old grandmothers who are facing 11 years in federal prison for, uh, you know, the, the charge or the, the issue is that they were blocking access to an abortion clinic, right? Can you tell everybody a little bit of the details of that? Because that's a... That's a really frightening case uh, and shows, I think, the degree of weaponization that this DOJ under Biden has gone to. That's right. And so this has to do with the FACE Act, which is um, prosecuting individuals allegedly for conspiring to blockade abortion clinics. This dates back to an incident in October of 2020, a case that had been dropped, really, but was revitalized by both uh, the Civil Rights Division at DOJ and Matthew Graves, the uh, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, who is the one still prosecuting J6ers. He is now prosecuting pro-lifers. So what they're doing is the same thing we see with J6 cases. They are hauling these Americans before rigged D.C. juries made up of voters in a city that's 100% Democrat, they are quickly convicted of whatever crimes Matthew Graves and DOJ puts in front of them. And in this case, really egregiously, these individuals, and I believe there's eight total in this case specifically, are immediately taken into custody at the orders of a Clinton-appointed judge, 80-year-old judge who should have long retired, 
So not only are they awaiting a potential sentence of 11 years in prison, they were taken into custody at the request of this DOJ Matthew Graves and the consent of this Democrat judge. This is a tiny sliver of what's been happening in this courthouse for years for Trump supporters or conservatives, pro-life activists, you name it. Uh, So again, I go back to laughing at the idea that the Biden White House and Merrick Garland's DOJ are not working in cahoots hand-in-hand every day to criminalize political dissent and throw uh, their perceived political opponents in jail. Julie, the uh, trial in theory for Trump in uh, in D.C. is scheduled for March. I know you've had your finger on the pulse of so many of these trials that have been taking place. If you had to predict now, do you think Trump's trial in Washington, D.C. will actually begin? I think they set it for March 4th or March 5th. Do you think it'll actually start then? I don't. I still don't believe so. And I still don't believe that special counsel Jack Smith is done with Donald Trump related to January 6th. And I'll tell you an important reason why, and I'm going to be covering this. Right now, there are pending um, certs, uh, certification before the Supreme Court to overturn the use of this obstruction of an official proceeding felony, this 1512C2 post-Enron statute that has never been used this way before. There was a splintered ruling out of the D.C. Circuit, the appellate court. So now um, the Supreme Court might have the opportunity to take up that charge, and they could agree to do this next month, you guys. Mm. If the Supreme Court takes up that challenge to the use of that, that relates to two out of four counts that Jack Smith has in his indictment against Donald Trump. That will immediately send a message to DOJ and to Jack Smith that that the use of that felony count is in serious jeopardy. So he will be under pressure to bring additional counts, which I think he's already doing because his D.C. grand jury is still working and he still has six unindicted co-conspirators in the initial indictment. I still firmly believe Jack Smith is going to bring additional charges, add co-defendants in a superseding indictment, and that will automatically delay the trial past the scheduled date of March 4th. That's huge, actually, what you just said. I hadn't, I didn't know about that with the Supreme Court because then that would allow Trump's attorneys to say, we can't stand trial for something that the Supreme Court may determine is not a viable ground of felony charge. And that would then guarantee that this wouldn't happen until after the election, which would allow, and this is smart, Julie, I appreciate you letting us know, that would then allow the Supreme Court to basically keep Trump from being charged in this case until after the election and potentially punt in the event that he won, then he would go ahead and pardon himself, and that might keep the Supreme Court from having to step in directly in this case. Well, what will happen is if the Supreme Court next month agrees to take up this matter, um, Donald Trump's lawyers, I assume, will immediately move to dismiss those counts because it will be it is in legal limbo. Yes. I've covered the 1512 count since early 2021. I covered the appellate ruling. Even one judge called it a splintered ruling. There was no clear cut decision in that. The full D.C. Circuit refused to take it up, which is why at least three. There are at least three certs pending before the Supreme Court. So, um, and I keep meaning to get to this for so much breaking news, but I want to cover this in detail, but it's sort of breaking news right now with you guys, is that if the Supreme Court, and it's expected to do it next month, 
There's already been a report on this on SCOTUS blog that they feel that the Supreme Court will take this up. Huge blow, not just to Jack Smith, but the 300-plus defendants who have faced this felony charge have been convicted or taken plea deals, have spent years in prison for convictions of this, such as Jacob Chansley. Uh, this will be a massive black eye for the DOJ, well-deserved. And trust me, I pray for this like every day that this is going to happen happen to them. Julie, tell everybody, subscribe to her Substack. She's doing phenomenal work. She has been dogged in this and uh, and trying to get justice for everybody affiliated with J6, but also just for the American people. Julie, thank you so much for being here. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good day. Constitution Day was this past Sunday, a day on our calendar that we take a moment to remember the brilliance put into our nation's greatest document. Thank goodness for institutions like Hillsdale College and the people there. Not only do they take the time to recognize this day, September 17th, but more important, they educate millions of Americans on just how important and enduring the document is when it comes to our freedoms. Do you own a copy of our Constitution? Hillsdale College wants to send you one. Sign up online to receive it at clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. Hillsdale's goal is to give away one million copies to Americans who don't have one. If you do have one, how about someone you know who doesn't? Every American, young and old, should read these documents. Why? Because liberty depends on we the people knowing the basic principles of free government. So to claim your own free copy or to give one away, go to clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. Form simple. You'll receive your booklet by mail without paying shipping. Reserve your copy at clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. That's clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. Clay and Buck 24-7. Subscribe today. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Buck, I want to talk uh, about a story that hasn't gotten very much media attention, but I think would have gotten way more attention if any other aspect of this had, if you flip around the details. Um, this is a, uh, and I want to make sure I get the guy's name right because, uh, the victim here is incredibly important. Um, this is a 64 in, in Clark County, which is the Las Vegas area, a, uh, 64 year old, uh, dad, Andreas Rene Probst. Um, he's a former police chief from, uh, uh, California who now is living in Las Vegas, who's on a bicycle on the side of the road, and two teenagers stole a car, 17-year-old driver, both minorities, recorded on video themselves intentionally running over this bicyclist, killing him. Uh, The two teenagers, I believe, have now both been arrested. They're going to be prosecuted as adults. They face murder charges for the hit and run. Um, the story has gotten almost no attention. It's awful. It's graphic. Some of you may well have seen this video. You can legitimately watch as they are in this stolen car and make the intentional decision to swerve and hit this bicyclist. The media power in general is to decide which stories to cover. And if there is a minority victim and a white person is in any way involved in it, it is immediately the number one story in America. Buck, if two white kids had intentionally driven over a black bicyclist, how much attention do you think that story, and there was video of it happening, how much attention to that story do you think it would get? It would be the biggest story in America, and we all know it. And there would be uh, protests. There would probably be riots. Um, there would be Democrats that were uh, claiming that it was the result of Donald Trump. And I mean, it, it, this is yes, we know exactly Immediately. what you know the, the you know what the roadmap would, would be. run is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is what this is what we see in this country. I mean, there's uh, you said. I mean, the the biggest editorial decision is not how you cover; it's what you cover, which is important for everyone to realize. And you can sense that uh, in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these stories, also 
the focus is very easy for them to try to change, to tell a narrative one way or the other. You know what I mean? This is, uh, this is an inst- instance where you're not going to hear anything about the backgrounds of these uh, individuals. You're not going to hear, if, you know, what they put online on social media or whatever. Um, the, the media game is rigged in this way and it's, and it's really meant to propagate a, a perception. The perception is that, uh, what is very common in this country is that there are a lot of, um, uh, white people who are to commit violence against black people. That that Racist white is, people is, murdering black people is, that is like that, that is the, the narrative that they want to sell. And specifically for Black Lives Matter, it's that racist cops, generally racist white cops are murdering black people. Um, the, the numbers, when you actually look at it, show that this is, uh, the, the, uh, this is the opposite of, of reality. It's actually very rare. Um, and the alternative is far less rare. As in the alternative, happens you, you are far more rate. likely a white person to, first of all, most racial crime in, uh, occurs in most Within crime the same occurs race, inside right. the same race. But if you are white, you are far more likely to be a victim of a white person, of, of a black person when it comes to a crime of violence. I think it's like 10 to one more likely than you are to be a black person and be victim of a white person. Yet the media has so propagated this false narrative that Anytime there is a white person that engages in acts of violence, it's the number one story in America. And Joe Biden gets, you know, hobbles up the Air Force One and gets on the airplane and flies to wherever this scene is and announces. I mean, this is not exaggeration. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and Joe Biden, the president of the United States, have said that the number one threat in America is racist white supremacists. That, yes. That's what that's what they try to argue, that this is the most existential threat, that this is the biggest danger that all of us face in America. It's not true at all. Um, and when I see this, I mean, it's on video. It's graphic. It's awful. It's not even getting covered by the New York Times. And remember, they had that story, and I, and I think the New York Times has been somewhat shamed, uh, uh, at least for now, because it's not an election year, but the... Was it Detroit area, the black kid who got shot at um, and wasn't killed when he knocked on the wrong door? Oh, that's no, I think it was in Texas. And then there was the woman, the uh, young uh, white in woman New York, in New York, I think. And she was killed. shot and killed for knocking on a door in the same weekend. Yes. And, the, and the, the wounded but completely fine, full recovery young black man in Texas being shot for knocking on a uh, shot for knocking on a door um, was a huge national story in the New York Times. And then they realized, oh, wait, somebody was actually killed in very similar circumstances but she was white i guess they had to cover that too or i guess we have to cover that too was their attitude yeah sorry it was uh kansas city i believe oh kansas city sorry uh yeah so but it is emblematic of the way that these stories are covered and certainly we offer prayers and condolences to that family i can't even imagine what it's like for there to be a video of your father being intentionally murdered by someone who is driving in a car and decides that they're going to intentionally run over his bicycle and to have his life end at that moment, especially a guy who I think all the stories reflect wanted to spend the rest of, uh, of his life. He was looking forward to, uh, uh, spending the rest of his life in, uh, and in, in being a grandfather and, and continuing in his retirement. And I mean, this is a public execution and almost nobody's talking about it. Well, it just goes to, you know, the, the people that make these decisions in newsrooms as well, I think that they, um, they take the attitude, look, 
there's something that happens frequently in New York City. Um, and, and it would happen on New York One. It would happen on local news all the time where they would say, even in a case of, of public safety that is still at risk, meaning, you know, somebody tried to, you know, uh, violently attack and sexually assault a woman in a park, you know, in, in, a, in a city park. And they would give it, they would put on the screen a, you know, a, a, a not a photo, but you know what I mean, a, um, a composite, like a drawing yeah. of the individual based on the, the victim's recollection. And they would always describe it as basically male, 5'8 to 5'10, 180 pounds wearing a sweatshirt. Right. That was generally what, and, but you'd look at the photo, you'd say, I, I think they actually know more in this instance than they're, than they're letting on. Like, I think they're not telling us the full description of the suspect. And there are a lot of people in newsrooms who would tell you that, and there have been movements about this, by the way, like don't share mugshots in San Francisco because they are trying to control perception. They don't want a certain perception to get out there and they're open about that. And so that influences certainly news coverage and it influences uh, even the way that laws, I mean, things like wh- whether mugshots will be distributed or not. These are things that we see going on constantly and you know, you're not supposed to notice. That's you're just not supposed to notice the way these news entities are conducting their business on this stuff. And if you're interested in this, Google it. Google this guy, Las Vegas bicyclist being murdered. Read the articles about it. Almost none of them mention the race of the perpetrators. Don't even mention it. And then ask yourself, wait a minute, what, how, how quickly the first paragraph would be two white teenagers ran over a black cyclist? Or, or, or it could be Asian. It could be, if it was anyone who was non-white, the white, you know, the fact that the attackers are white and would there's be the any number kind one of a racial, yeah. racial, dis, you know, racial difference makes it a massive national news story. I mean, you know, and the perfect example of this is obviously something like Jesse Smollett where I mean, the whole thing was a lie, but the fact that that turned into, remember Kamala Harris weighed in on that publicly. Yes. About how, how the real perpetrators there need to be brought to justice. It's like, well, just, Jesse was the perpetrator. So anyway, I just think it's, it's worth go look it up and ask yourself, how honest is the media in the way that they cover these stories? Again, it's on video and you can go look the video up yourself if you want to. It's awful. It's a public execution. I bet a lot of you are hearing about it for the first time. And had no idea that it occurred. Yeah. It's awful. Uh, again, the power is in the way that they cover to choose to cover stories. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel of the Towers Foundation committed to helping our nation's heroes and their families in their darkest hours. When a first responder or veteran doesn't return home, leaves behind a young family, Tunnel of the Towers supports them. The foundation pays off their mortgages and lifts their financial burdens through their Gold Star Family Home Program and Fallen First Responder Home Program. Through their smart home program, severely injured veterans and first responders regain their independence with a mortgage-free home specially adapted to meet their unique physical needs. Tunnel of Towers also provides housing assistance and services to our nation's homeless veterans through their Homeless Veteran Program. They're helping more than 2,000 this year because no veteran should be living on the streets of the country they signed up to protect. Join Tunnel of the Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices made by our nation's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 
Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Find every podcast as they're released and listen. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 